Good morning. How many of you glad that God is a miracle working God? There's been a song that's been on my playlist this week that uh, just declares that over and over and over again throughout the song, just keeps saying, uh, He's a miracle working God. He's a miracle working God. And I, this morning, was sitting there and I was praying at my home and and I was just letting that song just play, and I was just sitting there thinking about all the miracles that God does each and every day that many times we don't even realize are happening. How many miracles are happening um, every day that, we, that when you really look at what is happening and going on behind the scenes, you realize that God's been putting all these pieces together to align everything up to, for that miracle to actually take place. And we serve a miracle-working God. In fact, when you hear the word miracle, what comes to mind? Some of you would maybe say healing. Others of you maybe would say sickness gone. Maybe, maybe some of you would say protection. Another word or thought that would come to mind is life change. Maybe some of you would say it's every day. I see miracles every day. Maybe some of you would say it's happening now. But what my prayer is, is that throughout this series, as we're kind of wrapping up this week, that, that what would come to mind in your heart, and your mind, would be that when you think of miracles, you would think of now. That you would think of miracles all around me. That miracles are happening every day. That, that you get to be a part of miracles because God is a miracle-working God. Now, let me throw another word at you. When you, when you hear the word summer, what do you think of? Someone said sun. Someone else said warm. Someone else said, I wish it was every day. <laughs> Some of you may think vacation. You may think beach. You may think hammock. You may think barbecue. You may think lake. You may think friends. You may think no school. You may think and see, now, what's funny is if there was a bunch of kids in the room and I said no school, all the kids would be excited. When I say no school and there's a bunch of parents in the room, they're like, oh, oh the kids are coming home. Oh. I mean, in a way, school is a little bit of a break. So when, when Jordan was youngest, or Jordan, when Jordan was younger, she was getting ready to go into school, we didn't know that... that you could actually kind of hold your kid back from going into school. So she's actually a very young senior, which now looking back at it, we go, man, we wish she wouldn't be a senior right now because we'd like to actually keep her at home. But one of the things is, is Kasha, man, she needed Jordan out of the home because Jordan was so much work. And she's like, she's just got to get to school. No, that's not true. Love you too, Jordan. Actually, next week, Jordan and Kasha are actually going to be tag team preaching together for Mother's Day, and so you're not going to want to miss that. It is going to be phenomenal. we got a few other surprises uh, for you guys. But, but when you think of words, there are different attitudes or opinions that come to certain words. When I say winter, some of you get excited, and some of you are like, no! If I was to say the word snow... Some of you would get excited about snow. Others of you are like, no! Because all of us have different attitudes towards different words, different things that happen in life. Those attitudes and opinions actually shape the way we feel, the way we respond, the way we think. Some of us, when I say the word sickness, some of you say, and your attitude towards it is this constant battle. Some of you would say, when I say sickness, you would say all around me. You see, our attitude and our opinion towards certain things actually reflects a lot on who we are and, and what actually is happening around us. Now, I've uh, gone out to Sand Creek a few times for some track meets and went out to Hudson for a track meet. And, and it seems like every time I'm going out in those directions, I'm always going over by the airport. And... Uh, it's a neat little airport right over there, and, and a friend of mine actually um, has been talking about flying a jet into the airport and everything. He's like, I'll stop by and pick you up, and I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. 
And so I've been thinking a lot about airplanes and, and different things. I don't know, it's just been on my mind here lately, and, and I was doing a little bit of research. Do you know what the most important instrument on a, an airplane is? What did someone say? The pilot. Yeah, that's pretty important. <laughs> the pilot is a pretty important, but instrument on the plane. Instrument on the plane. It's actually, it's actually the attitude indicator. Now, some of you are like, really, the attitude indicator? It's an instrument used in an aircraft to inform the pilot of the orientation of the airplane relative to the earth. Now, that's a pretty important thing to know where you are in, in regards to where the earth is. So, like, there are times, and my friend is actually a pilot, and so he has said there have been times where you're up, and sometimes if you're in deep cloud cover, you really don't know where things are but you know based upon the attitude indicator that you actually know where you are in relation to the earth. Now that's an important thing because if you get too close to the earth and you say, hey, let's go down or whatever, then boom, you crash and that's not good. Now I don't know much more about airplanes and flying than that. But I do think it's interesting that it's an attitude indicator. Because here's what I would say, your attitude towards life actually dictates a lot of how your life goes. See how you respond to things that happen around you? The, the way you respond to circumstances, the way you respond to, to sickness, the way you respond to, to good news or bad news determines, is determined a lot by your attitude. Ever met people who always get all the negative things and it seems like no matter how hard they try, it just seems like everything in life, they always get the, the raw end of the deal, the short end of the stick. It always seems like they're always getting that, but, but yet when you're around many people who are that way, their attitude towards life really has become just an attitude of like, oh, I don't even care. Man, everything, it's gonna go wrong anyways. Some people would call them pessimistic. But really what that has to do with is an attitude. You can look at things and think, oh, you know, optimistic, you know, there are optimistic people and there are pessimistic people, but really what it boils down to is our attitude. See, when you're flying, you really can't trust your feelings because sometimes your feelings as a pilot may not be accurate. The gauge, the attitude indicator will actually determine where you are in things. So instead of just trusting your feelings, because sometimes if you're living life based on your feelings, your feelings will actually lead you down the wrong road. Ever woke up in the morning and didn't feel like getting up? Ever woke up in the morning and felt like not going to work? I've been reading this book on healing, and, and uh, Dave Williams is the author, and in it he was talking about how he was at work, and he was talking about how he doesn't understand why works have sick days. In the book, he talked about how he said, he says, I think it's crazy that we say, you know, you get 12 sick days for the year. He's like, it's almost like we're speaking over you. You're going to be sick for 12 days, at least this year. And so he's like, I just determined that I wasn't going to use sick days. So he said, I was talking, he's, he was working for Consumers Energy at the time. He said, I was talking to a bunch of my coworkers and I was telling them about this. And, and he said, one morning I woke up and he says, and I felt like I'd been hit by a Mack truck. He's like, man, I, I was dizzy, all these different things. And he's like, I literally just wanted to lay in bed. And I thought in the back of my mind, oh, I have a sick day. I might as well just call in. And then he goes, then I realized that what I had told all of my friends and all my coworkers, that I didn't believe that we needed sick days. And he's like, I was struggling. And so he goes, I, I got up and he says, I, I was, did all my things. You know, I brushed my teeth. He goes, I literally got in the car. I was dizzy. He goes, he said, I was so dizzy and feeling so nauseous to my stomach that he goes, I literally thought I was going to have to pull over on the side of the road. Now, some of you are already thinking, don't go to work when you're that way. And I understand because as I was sitting there thinking that, I'm like, I don't want what you got. Please do not share. <laughs> But he said that as he got out of his car and began walking into work, he said the presence of God came over him and he was completely healed. And he walked in and he allowed it to be a testimony that day. He goes, I was not feeling well, all these different things. And he says, he says when I left the company, he said, I went in and he said, I sat down with the secretary and he, he said, I asked her how many days of sick day did I take? And he knew the answer. And her eyes got really big, he says in the book. And, and she says, 
you have not taken any sick days at all. That is amazing. See, I think our attitude towards life determines much of how we go. A lot of what we're dealing with has to do with our attitude. So the correlation between the airplane and us right now is this, is that sometimes we feel like maybe like the day is, is just not going to be a good day. We, we know we're going to encounter certain things. We know we're going to, maybe, maybe to that day you know you're going to have to work with so-and-so. You know who so-and-so is. Yeah, you know the one that you love working with? The one that you cannot, like, every time you're around them, like, you just feel like they're just adding so much to your life? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you feel like all they're doing is sucking from your life. Isn't it interesting, though, how your attitude will determine much of how your response will happen with that person? Like, if you think they're going to just suck the life out of you every time, do you know what will probably happen? They will suck the life out of you. But if you allow your attitude to be different and you allow your attitude to be one that says, no, I'm not going to let them dictate how my, I'll respond. I'm going to actually respond differently. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't some times where our hearts are grieving. There aren't some times where there's a heaviness upon us. There aren't some times where, I'm not saying don't respond to circumstances. What I'm saying, though, is your attitude in the midst of it dictates where you go. A good attitude lets you know that things are going to be okay. A good attitude lets you know that, that everything in life is going to be great. So, so here's some for instances. So you could, today you could go in and you could, today you could complain that you have to go into work. So tomorrow morning you could wake up and you'd be like, ah, I have to go into work. It's the Mondays. Or you could say, I am so thankful and joyful that I actually have a job. That I actually have provision for my family. That, I, that I'm not laid off. You could, you could do that. Here's, here's another one. You, you, could, you could complain that you have to go to school. You could be like, oh, man, I have to go to school, Gabe. You could get up tomorrow morning, Gabe, and be like, man, I have to go to school. Or you could say, man, I'm glad that I can open my mind to receive understanding and knowledge. Our attitude affects how things go. Now, we could say this. To, you, could, you could, moms, you could go home and complain about how messy the house is. How messy your kids are. Josiah. Where's Josiah? Oh, he's not in here right now. My whirlwind child. My tornado. The wind the other day came through. I mean, it, it whipped like all of our stuff around. In fact, it took our trampoline and kind of put it up inside of the tree, ripped all the netting around it and everything. I was really happy about that. And um, it's like in pieces and stuff. And I was like, oh, thank, thank you, Jesus, for that. Because now next year I'm not setting that sucker back up because it's going to... Uh, you could complain about your house being messy, or you could say, man, thank you, God, for a home. As I was mowing yesterday and just taking care of the house and stuff, I, I was honestly sitting there going, man, this is a lot of work. But then inside of my spirit, it was like, man, I am so blessed, though. I'm so blessed. You see, you get to make the choice of how you live. You get to make the choice of how you respond. You get to make a choice of how you're going to respond to the things. You get to make the choice in your attitude of how things will go. Today, you got to make choices. You see, I love what Craig Giulitani, he said this. He's a kids pastor um, out in California at Saddleback Church. He, he said this, the attitude you use is the attitude you choose. The attitude that you use is the attitude that you choose. You see, you get to choose how you're going to respond. You get to choose how you're going to respond to good news and bad news. You get to choose how you're going to respond to working with so-and-so and not working with so-and-so. You get to choose how you're going to respond when it comes to healing in your life or not receiving healing. You're going to get to choose how you respond. I heard the story about a woman who 
was talking and learning about choosing things in her life. Now, she was an elderly lady. She loved the Lord. She had very little money. She lived in an old, run-down house, but she was always choosing to praise the Lord. Her attitude was always one of choosing to love Jesus, choosing to, to just to worship Jesus, even in the midst of really hard times. The problem was she had a guy who lived next door to her, an older man. He was kind of grumpy. He was constantly trying to steal her joy, constantly trying to prove also that there was no such thing as God. One day the man had come over to her home and was getting ready to knock on the door when he noticed that the woman was there in her living room praying. He kind of crept over to the window and began listening to what she was saying. She was praying, Lord, you've always given me what I've needed. And you know that right now I don't have any money and I'm completely out of groceries. And I won't get another check for another week. She continued and said, Lord, is there any way you could get me some groceries? Why, when the man heard that, he got excited and crept away and ran down to the grocery store. He brought her milk, bread, and lunch meat. He ran back to the woman's house carrying the groceries. He sat them by the door, rang the doorbell, and then hid beside the house. You can only imagine how the woman responded when she saw the bag of groceries there. She began thanking Jesus and saying, Wow, God, thank you so much for providing. I was without food, and you provided the groceries. A few moments later, the man jumped out from behind the house and said, I got you. She was too busy thanking and worshiping Jesus and he said, I told you that it wasn't Jesus who would take care of you. It was me who gave you those groceries. The woman responded, oh no, oh no, it was not. Jesus got me these groceries and made the devil pay for them. You see, your attitude towards things determines a lot of things. She had the right attitude in there. She was confident of God's provision, and she needed a miracle, and God answered. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 22 through 30. Acts chapter 16, verses 22 through 30. Give you a little background here. Paul and Silas are the two individuals that we're going to be learning about today. They had come to the city. They were preaching. They were sharing the good news, the gospel. They had met a woman who had this gift where she would predict the future. She began following them around, and she would say things like, Hail to the sons of the Most High God. Paul finally becomes frustrated with her and, and turns and, and, and looks to her and actually casts the demon out of her. At that, she then lost her powers to be able to foretell the future. Her owners become mad because all they saw was the money that they had lost. So they take Paul and Silas to the local magistrates and accuse them of bringing the city into, into chaos. And that's where our story picks up in verse 22 says, the crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Now, can I just say, if you're Paul and Silas, you're doing the work of ministry, you're preaching the good news, and all of a sudden today is a day where because you're speaking, because you're preaching the good news, you're going to have your robes stripped off you. You're going to be beaten. How many of you know that that's not a good day? It says this, When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
So here's a question. Why did Paul and Silas not complain? Why did Paul and Silas not just pick up the phone, call, well, they didn't have phones back then, but, but why didn't Paul and Silas ask for their lawyer in that moment? Why didn't they say, hey, we've been wrongly accused? Why didn't they cry out? Why didn't they question God's goodness? Why didn't they curse God? Why, why didn't they say, man, we were doing all this for you, God, and now all these things are happening? Because here's what we've been learning about and talking about throughout this series on miracles is that in order many times for a miracle to take place in your life, you've got to have a problem. See, some of us, our attitude is, is the minute the problem comes, we start questioning everything. We question God. We question whether he loves us. We question if we've done something wrong. Some of us, it's, it's that moment of shame where we feel like, man, I've done so many wrong things. That's probably just a punishment from the Lord. Our attitude towards bad circumstances many times dictates how things go. With Paul and Silas, they had legitimate reasons to say and question what was going on around them. But their response is one of an attitude that chooses to worship God even in the midst of the trials. We continue to read. It says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, notice this. It wasn't just Paul and Silas who received the miracle. It was everyone. It wasn't just Paul and Silas who received the miracle. It was every, everyone received a miracle in this moment. Verse 27 says this. When the jailer awoke, he saw the prison doors opened. He drew his sword, was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourselves, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? A moment that many of us, well, we love the end of the story. But how would you respond before the story? You've been beaten. Now you find yourself being locked in prison. You find yourself with other people around you who find themselves in, in bad circumstances. And it would be easy even in that moment to think about the guy next to you, find out he was a murderer, find out this guy had stolen, find out this. And you go, man, they deserve to be here, but not me. I was doing the gospel. I was doing what God had called me to do. You could get so focused on that. Yeah, they deserve to be here, but not me. I shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be happening in my life. And the attitude is not an attitude of worshiping God and praising God and thinking, hey, you know what? God's going to use this problem to perform a miracle. God's going to use these circumstances to show up and to show off. Oh, God's going to use these, these moments right here to prove to everyone else around me. The Scriptures tell us that when they were singing and praising, all the other prisoners heard it. How many of you think probably the prisoners, I can just picture they're one of the prisoners over there, and they're seeing these guys, they're like, dude, I'm trying to go to bed. It's late. Can you stop singing? Can, can you stop? Can, can, can you knock it off? But yet Paul and Silas just can't. Because why? Because Paul and Silas know this. They know that every time there's a problem in their circumstances, it allows for God to show up. You see, their attitude is one of saying, God, in the midst of any trial, I know that you're going to show up. So let me just share with you three keys this morning for a miracle. Three keys during a miracle. The first key is this. Is in the midst of the trials, keep praising God. Can I just encourage you? In the midst of your trial, 
keep praising God. In the midst of the hard times, keep praising God. In the midst of a bad report, keep praising God. In the midst of the bank account not looking so good, keep praising God. In the midst of marriage struggling, keep praising God. If you'll keep your focus on your God in the midst of your trial, he will always pull you through. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 says, and this is the message translation, it says, though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, Though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat feels stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns are empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior, God. I'm counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. That's someone who chooses to have an attitude of praising God in the midst of great lack. In the midst of great lack. See, for us today, if we were to say, it would say, though my car is broken down, though my bank account has no money, though my, my shelves in my kitchen have no food, though, though those around me look at me with content, I'm still singing joyful praise to God. I'm still turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior, God. Joni Eckerson Tata, who was paralyzed from the neck down while a teenager, wrote this. You don't have to be alone in your hurt. Comfort is yours. Joy is an option. And it's all been made possible by our Savior who went without comfort so might so you might have it. He postponed joy so you might share in it. He willingly chose isolation so you might never be alone in your hurt and your sorrow. See, the first thing we see here is this, is that in the midst of the trials, keep praising God. The second is this, is don't run at the first open door. Hmm. Don't run at the first open door. See, some of us, the minute the door opens, we run right through it. The minute a door opens that alleviates us from this pressure, from the stress of the moment, we run right through it. We're like, oh, God must open that door. But yet, could it be that in the midst of the open door that we should pause for a minute and say, God, is this a door that you want me to walk through? See, so many times we over-spiritualize everything around us. Oh, the door opened. Oh, that must be what God is. Boom, you quit your job. God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I, was, just put, I was just impressing something on your heart because I wanted you to begin asking me and talking about this. Like, I want us to have dialogue, but now you're just impatient and just going with it. You quit your job. Great, now what are we going to do? Now, luckily, God does not say, oh, now what are we going to do? Now he's like, oh, well, that was a dumb move. Let's take care of this. I do think he sometimes looks at us and says that was a dumb move. Sometimes he's like, oh, that wasn't quite my best, but it's all right because I knew. It's all right. I'm God. I can take care of this. Praise God. His attitude is not like, oh, you screwed up. Sucks to be you. (laughs) No, he doesn't do that, which is good. Look at verse 26. It says, immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, I I will be honest. If I'm Paul and Silas and I'm sitting there in that moment, all of a sudden my chains fall off and there's an earthquake, I'm probably going to bust out. I'm going to be like, what? Thank you, Jesus. But you see, the reason why I think Paul and Silas didn't just bust out is because they were praising on the front side. So what happened was is they were already in tune with the Father. And because they were in tune with the Father, when that door opened up, they knew to wait. Because they were in tune not with their plan, they were in tune with his plan. You see, What praise will do for you in the midst of your circumstances is it will put you in tune with his plan. It will put you in a place where even when the door opens up and you're like, I'm out of here, you know to actually stay still because God has a bigger plan. Paul and Silas knew to stay put because they had already been praising God. They had already been talking with him. They had already been communicating. Their spirit knew to stay. See, sometimes we don't even even ask God. We We bust right out. We're like, oh! First door, I'm going. 
But the beautiful thing is, is that if we'll wait and put ourselves in a place and a posture of listening to the Lord, sometimes even when the door opens, we'll need to wait. See, sometimes God places a dream in our heart for a business or, or an idea, and, and sometimes we're like, man, I just got to go do it, and we just run into it. And God will take you through it. I've seen him do it all the time. But what if you just waited for a moment and just asked the Lord, God, is this the timing? Is this the season? I see this with people all the time. They, they have a calling in their life into ministry. And, the, and, and instead of sitting in a place in the season where God is continuing to mold and shape things in them, what happens is there's a spirit that rises up inside them that says, I need to do it now. You can't hold me back. And there's this rebellious spirit that begins to come up. I've seen it. I've been pastoring long enough to see this. And I learned long ago, and the second pastor I served on, he used to say this. He said, he said, true ministry is sent ministry. It's where there's a spiritual authority over your life that sends you out and says, man, I've seen God do this. I, I think it's time, and he sends you. He goes, but what most people deal with is not sending ministry. He called it went ministry. Not sent, went. They just went away. They went and did their own thing. They, they went and did this instead of allowing there to be there. And I understand that. I remember serving with him sometimes, and, and there would be times where he would be going in this direction, and there was something. I was like, no, we shouldn't be going that way. Like I knew, right? I'm the kid's pastor. He's the pastor of a 4,000-member church, but I, 22-year-old or 24-year-old Brian, know better than him. Ever been there before? I remember when I was young, and I remember thinking, man, a lot of the older people around me, I'm like, they just don't know. Like, they, like, like they just don't know. And the older people around me are just like, <laughs> oh, he'll learn. Anyone learn through the years? Come on, I'm still learning. I'm still in process. Don't run through the first door that always opens up. The next one is this, is your miracle affects others. Your miracle affects others. See, sometimes we think the miracle's just for us, but the miracle isn't just for you. The miracle actually affects others. See, sometimes God isn't just concerned with just your little need. In fact, he has a pretty big picture that he's trying to unfold. Guess what? You're not the only thing the universe revolves around. You're a part of his story. Years ago, Kasha and I were introduced to this idea of being a part of God's big picture story. And when I used to teach in kids' ministry and stuff back in the day, and, and, and still, there'd be temp times where you're tempted to talk about just that character. So you talk about Daniel and the lions, and you say, man, Daniel and the lions, and Daniel stood up for God, and, and we put all the emphasis on Daniel. And so then the kid, when he gets older, he's like, oh, man, you know, when I get older, I want to be like Daniel. No. No, no, no. What we need to be teaching our young people is that Daniel was simply a part of God's big picture. He was a part of God's big story. And because he was a part of God's big story, then what God did is God used Daniel in the midst of his story. And so our young people need to think in those moments, not how can I be more like Daniel, but more how can I be more like God? How can I do what God would want me to do in that moment? See, Paul and Silas used and allowed their story to bring other people to Jesus. So today we are going to have a moment of baptism here in a few People are going to publicly declare to others around them what God has done in their life. And you know what's going to happen? Is people are going to go public, and the way that they go public, the way that they, that they say, man, I'm, going to, I'm living for Jesus, is going to affect other people in the room. That's the whole thing with baptism. It's this public declaration of what God's done on the inside of you. It's saying, man, God is first in my life. People are going to be sharing how God changed them. And our attitude in those moments is going to determine much of how things go around us. Imagine when you saw someone give their life to Jesus who hurt you as a young child. Now, this didn't happen to me, but 
Like, if someone had, if someone, oh, I'll just put this, if someone had really wronged me as a kid, they were living for the, for the world, man, they, they were not at all like Jesus. And then later gave their life to Jesus. And then later went and got baptized and, and went public with their faith. My attitude towards that moment dictates a lot of whether, how I'm going to receive things and blessings in my life. See, in that moment, what I should be doing is, thank you, Jesus, for saving that person. Thank you, Jesus, for what's happening. But sometimes what happens is we allow our attitude towards things to dictate how we respond towards others. You and I are called to praise God in the midst of the trial. You and I are called to not just run at the first open door. You and I have to realize that our miracles affect others. See, the greatest miracle that's ever taken place in your life is not a miracle of healing physically. It's not even a a moment of healing emotionally. The greatest miracle that's ever taken place in many of our lives in this room is the miracle of forgiveness of sin. That's the greatest miracle ever. Romans 6, 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Think about that for a minute. Galatians chapter 3 says this, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Matthew 10, 32 says, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. You see, baptism is a public declaration of a new association. The word baptism comes from the word baptizo, which means to wash, to dip, to immerse, to plunge under, to submerge. Two things real quick. First is is that you are baptized into Christ's death. You see, Romans 6, 3 said, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. The whole idea of going under the water is saying, that's my old man, dying to my old man, coming up anew. You're baptized into Christ's death, but then you are also then raised into new life. You're raised into new life. Romans 6, 4 says this, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Listen, when you gave your life to Jesus, what happened was the old is gone and the new is up. And baptism is just simply a public declaration of the old being old and becoming new. And I know across this room that many individuals have already made that commitment. They said, man, I'm going public for Jesus. They remember the moment when they allowed Jesus come into their life. They said, Jesus, be Lord of my life. But I, I wonder two things, two calls, just real quick today. The first is this. I wonder if, if there are some of us in the room who are going through a trial right now. And you're like, man, I just, I need God's strength right now to help me in the midst of the trial that I'm facing. Secondly, I think there are some of us today who, There's a moment of you going public that needs to take place. See, Jesus changed your life, but maybe today you haven't gone public yet with baptism. Now, the good news is is, is we have a baptism tank that does not leak. Come on. And the beauty of this is that every second Sunday of the month, we're going to have baptism. So every second Sunday of the month, we're going to have baptism because, yeah, Because we know this, people's lives are being changed every week. And instead of saying, hey, wait for, you know, four months to go, you know, public for Jesus, we want to give you opportunity. And so we still know you'll have to wait a little bit, but at least the second Sunday of every month, you'll know we're going to have baptism. The beauty is, is that maybe today you're not one of the 17 who went public today and they're going public and they're saying, hey, I'm going to be baptized. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I have not been baptized Can I just say, we have everything for you. We've got the shirt for you. We've got shorts for you. We've even got brand new undergarments for you. We've got everything you need to fix your hair afterwards so you can still go out to eat. Um, We've got everything you need to go public today. We want to take away every excuse. 
And so if you have not been baptized today, can I just encourage you, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you have not been baptized, today's your day. Today's the day where you need to say, I'm going all in for Jesus. You're going all in. But maybe today it needs to start even with just us getting our hearts and lives right. So if everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment this morning. Maybe today you're here and you haven't even taken that first step of asking Jesus to be Lord of your life. Today's a great opportunity for you to take that first step. See, maybe you're facing a trial right now, but what God wants to do is in the midst of your trial, he wants to bring you through. And you're like, man, it's really hard to praise him when I'm in the midst of these struggles. But God is reaching out to you today and he's saying, listen, I'm crazy madly in love with you. I paid the price so you could have freedom. So today, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'm going to invite you to go on a journey with me. And I want you to start it off by just simply repeating this prayer after me. Would you say, Jesus, right now, I need you. Change my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And so right now, I accept your free gift. From this day forward, I will choose to have you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you prayed that prayer for the first time today? Here's what, here's what we believe. We believe that it's in moments like that where that new relationship starts. Jesus comes in, he forgives you of all of your sin. The next step past the moment of salvation really is going public for Jesus and being baptized. So there are 17 people today who, are, who have signed up ahead of time and said, hey, I'm, I want to be baptized. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I think today's my day and you wanna join us, all you gotta do is you can just get up, go right outside these doors, go right into the event center. Like I said, we have everything for you. Shirt, undergarment, I mean everything. We have everything for you um, to be able to get baptized. I'm gonna go put some shorts on real quick. The team's gonna worship. So if you would just stand to your feet this morning, we want this moment to be a moment of celebration a moment of excitement. There are people who are getting ready to go public for Jesus. Come on, can you give a big clap of praise?
Brother Jordan. We're actually going to be speaking, so we're pretty excited. Um, I've got to try making it through without crying, so I'd appreciate all the prayers. <laughs> um, but we also have a really awesome surprise for you during the gathering. We have a, another guest that will be here doing something special. And then, ladies, we have a great gift that you're not going to want to miss out on. I promise you you're going to love it. So please be here next Sunday for Mother's Day so we can continue to celebrate what God is doing. Have a great day.